And this morning we turn to our scripture reading of Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 to 9. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. You can follow along in your Bibles, uh, pew Bibles or your phones, or you can listen to the word of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your, of your houses and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your ancient words. Words of instruction, words of challenge, words of love and grace through you and your son, Jesus. And may this reading have been impressed upon our hearts. And may you bless the words of your servant on each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think, myself, that numbers are important. I like numbers. I'm good with numbers. And I'm sure there's others who are in our midst who also like numbers. Maybe you're an accountant, or you like banking, or doing books, or maybe you like playing Sudoku. I think God likes numbers. I mean, of course, there's a book in the Bible called Numbers. But also in Scripture, we will often hear repeats of certain numbers. Forty days and forty nights for the flood. Jesus was in the wilderness for forty days. Forty years the Israelites wandered in the desert. Twelve tribes. Twelve disciples. Twelve days from ascension to Pentecost. Seven days of creation. Seven churches of Revelation. Jesus prayed three times before Gethsemane. The rooster crowed three times. Jesus rose three days after his crucifixion. And the most important number is one. One is not divisible by any other number other than itself. And then it equals itself. And we have one Bible. And we have one God. So in our profession of faith service today, such as today, the most important number is the number one. Because our worship is directed to our one God. Our profession of faith that Tony and Caleb did, but also that each of us did, is directed to our one God. In the book of Deuteronomy, the Israelites are wandering in the desert for 40 years. Chapter 5, Moses provides them another reading of the Ten Commandments. In chapter 6, Moses gives the people another command from God. Moses impressed upon the people of Israel God's command from Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. The statement was a profession of faith for the people of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Now, this passage in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 or 5, is called the Shema. S-H-E-M-A. Shema is a Hebrew word for the word, the English word, to hear. So when the Israelites would hear the words proclaimed, Hear, O Israel, they would know that this is the Shema. And then they would automatically respond, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one true God. So we have one Lord. We profess one faith. In several places in the Psalms and the Prophets, we are reminded that our Lord, our God, is one. There's no other God like our God, our one God. Joshua 24, 15 proclaims this challenge and profession of faith to the Israelite people. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods, multiple gods from, from ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or gods, again, multiple gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But for me in my household, Joshua says, we will serve the Lord, the one Lord. So the question is, will you serve several gods or will you serve the one true God? Ephesians 4, verse 4, the Apostle Paul proclaims his one faith when he writes, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One is a very important number in a profession of faith service and also in our journey with our one Lord. So this morning in the service, we also have brought in other numbers. If you were listening to the profession of faith form, there was that one question and three questions. So there are four questions. Now for those who are listening very close to numbers and pay attention to numbers, perhaps you were actually counting the questions and you probably noticed several sub-questions included in the four main questions. You know, as good Christian Reformed people, we try to squeeze as much information as possible into things. And if you counted, there were probably more like a dozen questions that were actually asked. But for the purpose of the sermon, we have four questions. And these four questions that Tone and Caleb were asked to respond to had to do with our one baptism, our one faith in Christ, our belief in the one Bible. And our commitment to his one church. And so I think these four questions can be summarized, perhaps maybe, as one response. Our response to our one Lord is the one command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We respond to our God in our love to him. Now in the New Testament, we read that our love to God is also shown in our love to one another, to God's people. And so as we worship and serve one Lord and love our one Lord, our love for God and our love for one another is expressed in many different ways. And where I'm going with this next is that we have multiple opportunities. We have one Lord 
We have four questions, which probably can be translated into one command. And we have multiple opportunities. A public profession of faith service is one opportunity to share our faith, to profess the name of our one Lord. But throughout our lives, we are given many other opportunities. In the scripture passage of Deuteronomy 6, we read about some of our opportunities. We read again from verse 6, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them down on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Take opportunities in all areas of our lives to reflect our one God to our children, to our church family, to others in the community. How is Christ in us impacting others? So Moses proclaimed the word of the Lord in verse 7, where he said, impress them. Impress them on your children. Now he was, in this verse, he was referring to the commands. But later in verses 20 to 25, Moses is telling people to take opportunities to share stories of God's faithfulness. Because that is an important thing to do. To impress the commands, but also to impress stories, to share God's faithfulness. We've been doing that every so often in our congregation uh, through the service with Beyond the Pew. And that's an opportunity where we can say, God is at work beyond this one hour of worship. God's faithfulness continues beyond this one hour of our worship in our lives throughout the week. And we get the opportunity to share that. Now, often we have to change our mental model because. As growing up, and perhaps back in the day, we think, well, people, when they share, they're giving glory to themselves. No! We come here thinking and knowing that the glory goes to God. It's His story. It's His faithfulness. We're sharing it. Let's go back to the word impress. Impress in this passage reflects the idea of teaching. But the Hebrew word for impress is a word that's often used in another context. It's a word that's used in the context of a sharp tool. And this sharpened tool, it inscribes words into a stone tablet. So the image that is being presented here is an image of engraving. And the engraving is a long and daunting task. But once the words are engraved or impressed into the stone tablet, the words are there to stay. Impressing. Engraving these words upon children and the youth is about nurturing the youth and children in the faith. It is faith formation. It is forming the faith of our children and youth. Now the commandment in verse 7 is further explained to the Israelites. If you heard it, it was through contrasting actions. As it continued to state, talk about these things when you sit at home, but also when you walk along the road when you're lying down, but also when you're up and getting up. Furthermore, the people are to tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses, and on your gates. These verses encourage faith formation of all ages in all areas of our life. These verses state that the children and youth must be submersed in nurturing of their faith at all times, in the morning, in the night, through the day, wherever they are. 
These verses encourage the Israelites that all of their actions as parents, as family, as a community have to impress God's love upon their children. If a community wants to last longer than one generation, it must concern itself with faith formation. God's word impresses that the youth are to be nurtured at all times. Now, in the days of Moses, the daughter usually worked her day with her mother. The son usually worked his day with his father. So forming one's faith was predominantly in the family. Now, the family structure was completely different then from the family structure that it is now. Today, we live in a world... That is fast-paced. Whether that's right or wrong, you can argue whatever way. But it is fast-paced. It's busy. And it's very much electronic. Probably most of the people here have their phones on them. Fathers typically don't work all day with their children, nor do the mothers. So to teach children when they get up and when they go to bed is difficult, especially if somebody's already gone to work or the kids are rushing to school. Different contexts, different methods... Our faith formation cohort has been encouraging us in this area, and we were challenged to think about different methods and routines in our lives with faith formation. So how can we be more intentional as families? Find time with the family. Somehow or another, we need to find time with the family. Include praying, scriptures of thanksgiving for each of the family members. This weekend is a good weekend to get into that habit or start that habit over again or continue it. Lift each family member in prayer out loud. Invite the youth and the children to participate in prayers. And it may be at mealtime, it may be at bedtime, or any free time that becomes available because God is present always. We can further instruct our children through our actions. You see, in in addition to formal training at home, we train our youth by example. Kind of informal training, if you will. At all times, teaching occurs in the home. But we have to be aware of what we're teaching children through our presence or lack of presence. And I'm not just talking about moms and dads. I'm talking about grandparents, aunts and uncles, talking about when kids are over at friends. We all have a role. I recall seeing a newspaper article online titled Wealth, a priority of today's kids, poll shows. And the subtitle of this article was, Author says parents have played an integral role in encouraging their children's materialism. It's a question to ask, what God are we serving? This article stated that children learn their priorities from watching their parents. Parents' priorities are intentionally taught to the children. And this not only occurs in the area of spending, but it occurs in all areas of our lives. Children recognize the priorities of the parents and they absorb this through the family's interactions. It is important as parents that we make Christian values part of our family life and our priority. The family unit is where faith formation takes root. And those, the family, is one of our multiple opportunities. But God's word also states that it's also the duty of the community to impress to engrave, to chisel away. Deuteronomy 6 verse 9, it was not only stated to write these commands on the doorposts of your houses, which is the family unit, which was a big family unit back in the day. Now it's often just parents and children, but back then it was a lot more family members. 
So write the commands on the doorposts of your houses, the family unit, but also on the gates. And the gates referred to the city gates. The gates were the gates that were part of the community. The community was involved in the forming of the faith of the youth and children. The community is not to replace the family, but rather complement family faith formation. Now, as I'm talking about community, I could probably do a whole sermon in itself or more on Christian day schools. But all I'm going to say is this, is that Christian day schools is a resource to assist us, to assist us in the faith formation of our children. Christian day schools are not to be used as a resource to shelter our children from the outside world. They're not a replacement for faith formation at our homes or our churches. Christian day schools are a gem. They are a gem in our own backyards, which we often, I think, take for granted. Christian day schools are a gift to assist us in the forming of faith of our children. So when it comes to community today, you can include the Christian day schools, but more so what I'm going to focus on is the church. It is imperative that the church instructs through weekly worship services as we gather together as God's people. We need to be here to gather. Preaching is proclaiming the word of the Lord, but includes a teaching and a learning component. It puts responsibility, yes, on the pastor leading the service to prepare messages for all ages, young and old. Participatory worship involves people of all ages, including the children and youth. I think it's a good thing that our church has children's messages from time to time. We have Bibles, children's Bibles in the pews, inviting children to participate and take part in the celebration of the sacraments of, of baptism and Lord's Supper. This is all part of faith formation, and it speaks loudly to children includes them in the community, and it also involves the whole of the community. And we can continue to grow in this area. Another area in which the church instructs is through its ministries and programs. We have a faith formation team and education ministry here at Exeter. Many churches do. Churches require young, requires young adults and singles and parents and grandparents, all members, to take roles in nurturing of the children and youth. We're all called to be energetic and creative with respect to the youth ministry of our congregation. It doesn't fall any more on one person than another. It's all of us, one body. Now, in the beginning of this message, I brought in some numbers. One Lord, four questions and multiple opportunities. So I'm going to just bring in some other numbers quickly. I roughly tallied the membership of several of our committees in Exeter Christian Reformed Church, and we're probably not too much different than any other churches. We have 88 people serving on committees. I know the running joke is the CRC loves committees. We have 88 people here serving on committees. I tallied up those serving in the forming of faith, directly involved in the forming of faith of children and young, youth and young adults. And we have Sunday school gems, cadets, youth and children's messages. I didn't include VBS because I figured and made the assumption that there was overlap there, but I came up with 59. We're doing good. But I think we can grow and do better. 
Perhaps we can start to use less committee members and begin to encourage people more directly in the faith formation of children and youth. Maybe leave the organization component to less people and the formation component to more people. Maybe we can see a turnaround of those numbers. Once in a while, too, I will hear someone make a comment that the children and youth are the future of the church. But this is only half true, and of course a half true is not true at all. The children and youth are the now of the church. We make this statement that they're the now of the church in our baptismal promises as parents and as church community. At each child's baptism, we have made a commitment that we will be involved in the faith formation of children. This is part of our covenant responsibility in the families and in the church. And covenant is a big thing in the Christian Reformed Church. And we know it is and we want it to be. Because God wants it to be. The reason that Caleb and Tone are up here today publicly professing their faith, of course, is because they're one God who led them to this. But he also used his people who were obedient to their multiple opportunities. Who else is God nudging you to lead to him, to be a mentor, to be involved in somebody's life? In this passage, we see that God is concerned for his people. God has concern for his present people, but he also has concern for the future generations. And he wants our children to be taught the good news of the gospel all day long. Youth, children, young adults, listen closely. Our one God wants Christ impressed into your hearts. Our one God wants you to know him and to love him. He wants you to know that he loves you. That you belong in life and in death in this next life, to your faithful Savior. He wants you to know that Christ is born, that He suffered, that He dies, and He resurrected for your salvation too. So that you know that you have the forgiveness of all your sins through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Young people, children, young adults, all of us, Accept these gracious promises of our God. God's word challenges each one of us to follow our one true God. To respond at some point in our lives with those four questions. And to respond always with the multiple opportunities that he puts before us. To be his disciples. To be his followers being used to form the faith of his people. God's word challenges us to impress the gospel news to the next generation, in our families, in our churches, in our communities, so that the next generation will take the opportunities to share this news with their children and their children's children. Hear, O Exeter, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. 
We thank you, Lord, for being our one God. We thank you for one word and the one story of salvation that you give to us through your word and how you have called us to respond at times with four questions and always with multiple opportunities. Through your Holy Spirit, equip each of us to be people who share and live out the gospel. On account of what you have done for us, may our response be one of love, loving you with our whole heart, soul, and strength, loving your people and being part of the lives of your people in this church, in this community, and beyond. And it's only in Jesus we pray. Amen.